Welcome to Questions That Matter, a podcast of the C.S. Lewis Institute. I'm your host, Randy Newman, and I'm delighted to invite back to the podcast Russ Ramsey, a pastor and also a writer and a lover of art. In a previous podcast, Russ and I talked about his book, Rembrandt is in the Wind, about loving and appreciating art. Um, but I, I was struck um, by a, a chapter uh, in your book, Russ, and I thought this deserves its own conversation just by itself. So this is a follow-up of the previous one. We'll have a link in the show notes. So the first one, you may want to listen to that one first. But you have a whole chapter about Henry Tanner. And uh, my guess is that a whole lot of listeners have never heard of Tanner. Um, if they've seen any of his work, they may not have read, necessarily registered that who he was or what he did. So let me start, um, Russ, well, welcome back to Questions That Matter. Thanks, uh, Randy. It's good to be back with you. Good to see you again. So why Tanner? Why did you include him in a book where you were including such famous uh, uh, artists as Michelangelo, Van Gogh, Rembrandt, etc. Why Henry Tanner? Well, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because as I've as I would run across Henry Tanner's work, I just loved it. Uh, I I thought it was um, uh, just really really moving. Uh, and two, I wanted to have a um, a an African American painter. In the book, I, I wanted to to write about because I, I was writing about a lot of European, a lot of Western um, European classical art, and really wanted to um, represent more in the book than just than just that. And so uh, Henry Tanner was was a painter that in in researching and looking for African American painters, he was he was a painter that uh, I was really fascinated by and. Um, Got into so that's that's why he made it into the book. Also, he he was um, uh, late eighteen hundreds, which was something that that you know I, w- I wanted something I wanted some chapters that were a little bit more recent. Uh, eight, late eighteen hundreds may not sound super recent, but when you're talking mm-hmm. about other chapters dealing in the fifteen hundreds and sixteen hundreds, then then we're getting up to speed. But I really wanted pe- I just want people to know about Henry Tanner's art because it's powerful. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and, um, um, well, well, we'll come back, uh, to the whole theme about him being an African-American painter, cause you have a, a, a really important reflection about that. So we will mm-hmm. come back to that, but, but I also want to talk about that at, um, he was a Christian, he was a strong Christian. Yes. And at a certain point in his career, he made a decided, <laughs> uh, commitment to paint scenes from scripture. So there's the Annunciation, and there's Nicodemus, and there's um, the the Pilgrims of Emmaus. He, he said, it is not by accident that I have chosen to be a religious painter. I have no doubt an inheritance of religious feeling, and for this I am glad. But I also have a decided, and I hope an intelligent religious faith, not due to inheritance, but to my own convictions. And so he he chose to paint scenes from scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us why. What, 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 what did you learn about his motivation to do that? Well, let me give you a little bit of his background, because yeah. uh, I think that's important for understanding uh, why he painted what he painted. Mm-hmm. So Henry Tanner was born in 1859. Um, 
and he died in 1937. So um, African-American born in 1859 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So he was born in the North. The Civil War happened 1861 to 1865. And so he was born uh, before the Civil War and he the Civil War was happening when he was a child. The, the Emancipation Proclamation was 1863. Mm-hmm. And so he would have been about four or five years old when, uh, when Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. So he, he was the first of nine children born to, um, a, his father was a minister, Benjamin Tucker Tanner. Um, he was a bishop in the African Methodist Episcopal Church, and he was a second-generation freedman and a third-generation resident of Pittsburgh. His mother, uh, her name was Sarah, she was born into slavery in Winchester, Virginia, and her she was one of 11 children uh, born to a slave, uh, and her father uh, was a... Um, uh, a slave owner. And so she, uh, so Sarah's mother uh, d- basically sent her children north by way of the Underground Railroad. Mm-hmm. And so Sarah, uh, Henry's mother, was the child of a slave. She was born into a plantation and took the Underground Railroad north. And when she got, basically what, what would happen when you went through the Underground Railroad is, is you, as a child, is you would be, if you were siblings, you would be scattered and you would be placed in different cities. And so mm-hmm. Tanner, mm-hmm. Uh, Henry was, was moved to Pittsburgh. And so, uh, or so Sarah was moved, his, his mother was moved to Pittsburgh. And so Henry grew up um, in that era. And he mm-hmm. grew up, and those were his his parents. And um, he, his middle name, Osawa, uh, Henry Osawa Tanner, is his name. His middle name comes from uh, the Osawatomi, uh, comes from Osawatomi, Kansas, where mm-hmm. the abol- abolitionist John Brown initiated uh, an anti slavery campaign. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so Henry grew up around art. He grew up in a cultured home that re- that that had a high view of the importance of education. Um, he had a sister who passed the uh, medical boards. He 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 grew up around this, but so he so he was a northerner um, during the Civil War and post Civil War era, living in living in Pittsburgh, and then he moved to Philadelphia, and so and and he grew up in, around art, and so and and loved doing art. From the age of thirteen, he started painting. He 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 and his father took a walk in a park there in their city and saw a man painting a tree and, and the 13 year old Henry Tanner just was transfixed uh, by seeing this man put on paper Mm. uh, the tree that he was looking at with his own two eyes. And he was fascinated. (laughs) He wanted to learn how to do that. Mm. And so, so you have in young Henry Tanner um, parents who were connected to um, slavery and the civil war and He's also a child who is fascinated by art in a country that is um, not f- really welcoming and hospitable to um, African Americans doing anything other than African American cultural things. There was very segregational and very separatist uh, in the kinds of experiences they had, even even living in the North. And so he he found his way uh, into studying art and and um, uh, actually started a, uh, studying under Thomas Eakins, who was 
um, uh, who was the head of the Philadelphia, uh, the Academy of the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts. And he began to study under him and Eakins recognized in Tanner a great talent um, and really pushed him to, to learn to do this. And so, um, so as a young painter, he was trying to find his, his creative voice, his artistic voice Mm -hmm. and uh, genre painting uh, was something that was, was popular and was a way people would go. And, and he, um, would do paintings of like Roman mythology or, um, uh, biblical scenes. And as he, as he started to get some recognition, he ended up moving to Atlanta, uh, where he, which is fascinating enough to think that he moved to Atlanta, uh, where he taught mm-hmm. uh, art and drawing in college. Um, uh, but this is no more than 14 or 15 years after the civil war that he's now back in the South and he, or that, that he's in the South and he's, and he's doing this anyway, he, um, he, he was trying to find his voice. And the first couple paintings that I found from Henry Tanner were African-American genre paintings. Um, there's one called the thankful poor, uh, which is a powerful painting of what appears to be a grandfather and a grandson mm-hmm. sitting at a, at a very uh, humble table praying over a meal. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's a, it's a moving, moving painting. Yes. Uh, and then there's another one called the banjo lesson, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, a child sitting on a, on a man's lap, both African American and, and the, the boy is learning how to play the banjo. The, the man is teaching him. And that idea of pedagogy uh, of one generation teaching another generation mm-hmm. was, was mm-hmm. a theme that, that continues through Tanner's work his whole life. But he painted those two paintings um, and, uh, realized pretty quickly that, uh, people were regarding him as an African-American painter who painted African-American subjects. Yeah. And he didn't want to be that. Mm. What he wanted to be was a great artist. He wanted to be a recognized uh, artist around the world. He, he said this, he moved to Paris, um, which I might be getting ahead of myself a little bit, but he moved to Paris in order to kind of get out of the, uh, the American uh, stigma that went with him being an African-American painter. And he said this, he said, in Paris, no one regards me curiously. I'm simply M. Tanner, an American artist. Nobody knows or cares uh, what was the complexion of my forebears. I live mm-hmm. and work there on terms of absolute social equality. And that's what he wanted. But he, but he learned that if he was going to continue to paint mm-hmm. African-American scenes uh, then or scenes of black people, uh, that he would be regarded by society as a black painter paint, painting black people. And he would mm-hmm. never really be taken as seriously as a lot of the artists that he studied with and that he revered. And so he made a very calculated decision to not do that anymore. And Mm -hmm. so for a lot of folks, what they know about Henry Tanner is they know the banjo lesson and they know the thankful poor. And they think, here's a painter who paints, here's here's an African-American painter who paints great African-American scenes. When in truth, he painted two, just two. Uh, And the rest of them are, are mostly biblical scenes. And he moved over to that subject matter because one, it was 
commercially popular, but two, it was a representation of his own personal faith uh, that he wanted to bear witness to the testimony of scripture in his art. And three, he wanted to present paintings that wouldn't um, uh, segregate him in the minds of viewers who would see his paintings. And so um, he tells this funny story about how he when he painted, um, he painted uh, the bagpipe. He painted a, a painting called the Bagpipe Player uh, and the Banjo Lesson. And in the Bagpipe Player, it's uh, white people playing bagpipe, and in the Banjo Lesson, it's African American people. And he presented them both at an exhibition, and the the, the judges of the exhibition um, found uh, his. Um, banjo lesson painting with the African-American painter uh, characters in it to be a little too, um, uh, too, uh, you know, not, not as, as culturally familiar as uh, the, the bagpipe player, the, the irony being that, that a black man painting black people was seen as um, not, you know, not as, not as a, uh, racially familiar as a black man painting white people. And uh, so, so he, 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 he made a decision that he, he was going to um, not be pigeonholed according to his race, mm-hmm. uh, which had an impact on the subject matter that he chose to, to paint, which is, which is, uh, which left us some very beautiful, poignant paintings. We have several of them in our church, uh, reproductions of them on the walls, but also as a reminder to us of the, of the, the injustice of what he experienced because he, he, what we, what we could have had, uh, was a, an incredible legacy and testimony of the, the experience of his culture at that time Mm -hmm. represented in art that he created, but it was a cost. There was a cost to doing that. Yeah. that would have precluded him from becoming the kind of artist that he wanted to be. Hmm. Uh, and uh, there's, there's still a lot of that happening. I regularly talk about uh, all of the resources that we put together at the C.S. Lewis Institute. I want to highlight one right now. Uh, it's our Keeping the Faith, and it is a whole library and collection of resources for you, parents and grandparents. It's a whole entire program with courses and materials uh, that have been developed to equip you, parents and grandparents and other caring adults, for intentional discipleship of the children that God has placed in your life. And um, uh, this, we've got videos, we've got articles, we've got study courses. Uh, this is one of the things we've, we've made as a major emphasis on our newly designed, award-winning, Uh, website, and I really want to encourage you to check it out. And even if you are not um, a parent, um, that you'll check it out and recommend it to the parents that you know, or perhaps use it at your church in Sunday school. It's a wealth of things, uh, resources for uh, equipping the next generation of disciples. Yeah, and you and you go into that in the chapter, and um, you know he he's a complex figure, and, and one of the terrible tragedies is um, we tend to want to um, in our mind we we want to paint people as flat characters. Oh, mm-hmm. he's just 
an African-American or she's just a woman or they are just um, and and that's terribly unfair and terribly wrong. It's it's just not true. We're all very complex. Um, even even though he 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 stopped painting those uh, paintings of uh, black Americans, those two paintings are are incredible masterpieces, and they're and they're revolutionary or rebellious against the caricatures yeah. of the way African American people were portrayed in popular art. So um, again, I I found the chapter tremendously challenging for me, uh, wanting to look at art, wanting to be introspection about my own tendencies for racism and racial prejudices, and then also an appreciation for the human aspect of those biblical scenes. Let's, Let's turn our attention that way, because in his painting, The Annunciation, which mm-hmm. I, I just found out we're going to be including a, a, a copy of that in a in a uh, Advent devotional we're putting together at the Institute. So I'm very excited about that. Oh, great. And then also The Raising of Lazarus. Um, I mean, uh, there are a lot of works of art about these things, and they, they can tend to focus in on the, the, uh, the supernatural and the amazing mm-hmm. moment this is. But Tanner... Uh, did that for sure, but it's also about the the human emotion, uh, the expression on Mary's face, and the expression oh, of the people yeah, around yeah. Lazarus. They're just yeah. filled with emotion. Yeah, the if uh, if you're listening and you've never seen Henry Tanner's The Annunciation, um, make a note to look look that up today uh, online because it is it is a it's just different. A, a lot of paintings of the Annunciation, and this is this is when the Virgin Mary is being told by the angel of the Lord that she's going to bear the Christ. A lot of paintings of that historically would would depict you know Mary as as a young woman, and then the angel would be some sort of um, you know some sort of uh, radiant man, um, you know, with some sort of glow about him. And Tanner doesn't do that. He he paints. I won't spoil the surprise because I want you to look it up. But um, the way that he paints the angel of the Lord had never been done before. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was and it was a, um, uh, it was so revolutionary that people were just amazed by the not just the painting but but the the creative choices that Henry Tanner had made in order to achieve. Uh, this painting and it involves light. And one of the things that it does is the way that the angel of the Lord is illuminated um, makes Mary the uh, kind of the central, the, she really is the focal point um, because the light is falling on her and you see her and it's just, it's this, she's, she's got, you know, she's kind of got her, her, her robe and her blankets sort of gathered around her to convey some of the, the fear uh, that she's feeling. And at the mm-hmm. same time, she's, she's sitting up and she's leaning in a little bit with there's, there's courage represented there. And it's all so subtle. Um, one of the things that happened early in Tanner's career is he would paint these biblical scenes, though he'd never been to the Holy Land. And people, uh, there was a, a, a financier, uh, uh, Wanamaker was his name. He had retail stores in the in the U.S., um, loved Henry Tanner's work. And so he funded a trip for Tanner to go to the Holy Land because, because Tanner's instinct about what 
those biblical scenes might have looked like was so close that he thought it's it's almost as though he's already been there, but he hasn't. So if he mm-hmm. if he was able to go, uh, he could he could sketch what it's really like, and and the paintings would be pretty true to form of 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 what the place is like. And so he went and and came back with all of these sketches and journals and things. So when you look at his paint biblical scenes, there's a lot of of geologic uh, geographical accuracy and architectural accurate accuracy uh, uh-huh. for the way that things were built. That's that's sort of built into that. Um, but yeah, that that um, the the way that he captures people uh, and the way that he conveys the drama through just really subtle details in the way that they sit in the, in the way that their faces look um, is, is really uh, just sort of a, a clinic in composition uh, and, and creative brilliance. Mm. All right. So I just, I have to pause to do a commercial for your book because I, so I want our listeners to hear, do, do you hear the, the depth of background that Russ goes into? He, he, he wants to do a biographical background but he's also doing historical background. And then he's also talking about the work of art and then the, the deep penetrating pastoral spiritual implications for our spiritual growth. And I, I, I've read some other things about art, but I've never seen anything that pulled all of these together. And so I, I was so grateful for that. And um, uh, again, his, his paintings of the biblical scenes draw our attention to some things that we might just assume or overlook or take for granted uh, reading in the scripture. Um, at one point you said, um, as a painter of biblical scenes, Tanner didn't just want people to see scripture. He wanted to show it to them. Mm. This is what artists do. So so say a little bit about that. What what is what does how does an artist contribute to the advancement of the kingdom, because I, my guess is there are a whole lot of Christians who are artists or artistically inclined, mm-hmm. and they feel alienated or left out or not appreciated. Right. Um, but but you're shining a light on there. There's something that artists can do that mm-hmm. really contribute toward our uh, loving God with all of who we are. Okay, I, I love this question. This is something that that I, I just um, we, when you when you look at a painting, um, you are the painter. If they if if they're worth their salt, uh, they are taking you on a narrative journey. When you stand when you walk up to a painting and you look at it, and you don't realize it's happening, but you're getting worked. Um, and the the reason you're getting worked is because the painting will draw your eye almost almost to a person. They will look at everybody will look at the same thing first mm-hmm. um, and it'll be whatever the subject, the main subject is, whatever's most illuminated. And if it's a person, what you will look at is you'll look at them and you will do what we do when we look at any person. And that is you will, you will, you'll notice where their eyes are looking and you'll look at what they're looking at. Oh, okay. And then whatever they're looking at, will oftentimes direct you to to a third thing in the painting and before you know it you've been given a narrative not in a single frame you've 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 been told a story in a single frame and so when artists paint picture like like Henry Tanner when Henry Tanner paints a picture of the annunciation he doesn't just 
it's not like you're looking just at a still photograph of, well, there's a woman and there's an angel and there's this exchange we know from scripture happening. It's he's taking your eye here first and then here and then here and then here. Mm-hmm. And, and it's unfolding in a particular way. And, and that's the idea for him of, of wanting not just to tell you the, tell you the scripture, but to show it to you um, and to show it to you as the, as the curator and the narrator of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, he does that. He has a, a great painting of um, Jesus and Nicodemus on the roof talking at night. And it's this kind of dark setting, and there are two men sort of setting, uh, sitting on on uh, the the wall of the roof, um, con- speaking with each other, and and in a very subtle way, not even something that you notice immediately. Jesus' chest is is glowing. Mm. Uh, you know, mm. like a lot of painters will paint the 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 kind of will signify the deity of Christ with a halo or something like that, and what Tanner chooses to do is is a warm heart uh that's what he gives in this scene of jesus and nicodemus nicodemus being fearful of being known for somebody who's curious about the claims of christ as a as a religious leader he's speaking with jesus who is um who is warm toward him and whose heart is is aflame um and it's and it's so subtle but that's a that's an exa- a great example of of Tanner saying, uh, I don't want to just tell you the story of Jesus talking to Nicodemus. I want to show it to you mm-hmm. uh, in the in the in in and give you this kind of narrative. Um, and so, you know, we, you mentioned something about Christian artists and tr- trying to figure out how do we do this. I get I get questions sometimes from Christian artists about how do I how do I make Christ- good Christian art. And the answer that I typically will give is, don't try to make good Christian art. Um, try to make honest art. Huh. Uh, if you huh. make honest art, then your faith will be borne out in the truth of what it is that you're wanting to say. Hmm. But we all know what it's like to walk up to something that's trying really hard to be Christian and uh, art that's trying really hard to be Christian. And, and usually what it is, is it's trying really hard to be inspirational or it's trying really hard to be... Um, uh, idyllic, you know, or it's trying really hard to, to be um, some sort of representation of a world that's different from the one that we all know we live in. And so, uh, so if you're a Christian and you're wanting to make art that bears witness to Christ, then, then tell the truth. Uh, tell the truth about the brokenness of the world, about your own struggles, about, um, about the mercy and the grace of Christ toward people who are these walking contradictions of, of corruption and, and grace at the same time. Um, and and it, Tanner's work does such a beautiful job with that, that there's, a, there's a, a reverence and a mystery and a humanity that he gives to Jesus. I think of one painting that he has of Jesus walking on the water, and it's it's uh, it's uh, at the same time um, beautiful and also ghostly uh, in a way that would have been terrifying to see uh, in person because it would have defied all of the rules of of um, how the world works. You know that that people don't walk on water; they sink in water. And and uh, and so he created Jesus almost as an apparition. Uh, through the clouds, uh, through you know, through the fog of the lake, um, uh, but it's just it's it's poignant. So yeah, 
But it, it, so to, to summarize a lot of what I'm saying, it is a good exercise when you walk up to a painting to to try to discern where'd my eye go first and then where did it go and how is the sequence in which I'm looking at this unfolding a narrative for me? How is this artist telling, not just giving me a picture, but telling me a story in a single frame? We here at the C.S. Lewis Institute are delighted to tell you Um, Our newly redesigned website has been given an award. We're an early winner of the Gold Award by the .com Awards uh, Agency. Uh, They uh, hand out very few of these awards for excellence in web creativity and digital communication. This year's competition was had entrants from 2,500 entries or, or even more, designers, developers, content producers. I mean, it was it was amazing, and we are so very grateful that we were given this award. Uh, we thank you uh, for your prayers for this ministry and support for our ministry. This uh, redesign took a lot of time, a lot of work, and a lot of money. And we would love for you to be joining us as a financial supporter of our ministry for paying for these kinds of things, and also the great materials that we produce and the events that we do. So please prayerfully consider, if you're not a regular monthly supporter of our ministry, we'd love to have you as a partner in that way. Um, Or if it's only uh, uh, occasional gifts, we take those too. But we really need uh, your help So we hope that you can go to our website, cslewisinstitute.org forward slash give. Thanks. You know, you you quote one of Tanner's biographers. You say that that, uh, Tanner wanted to, quote, preach with his brush. And I think that's what he did. Um, You know, I I do want to say to, I'm, I'm anticipating some of our listeners might be getting nervous because... Um, I, I had this conversation on a previous podcast with Brett McCracken and, and why, why there is a, a, a tension or a difficulty for some artists in, in churches. And um, the task of doing theology is the need to be faithful to the text and to be precise and accurate. Um, the nature of art is to explore and to color outside the lines mm-hmm. and to be creative. And right. so there, there is a danger for artists who may want to only be avant-garde or pressing the envelope or whatever uh, illustration you want. So I, I want to tell our listeners, um, uh, m- my conversation partner today, Russ Ramsey, is a pastor of a PCA church, a denomination that's really particular about right doctrine, and I'm very grateful for that. I'm, I'm a member of a PCA church. But um, so, so this isn't uh, loosey-goosey theology, right? Um, but um, God made our world filled with physical beauty, and he inspired his word to be filled with lots of poetry and imagery. So mm-hmm. we, yeah. shouldn't, we shouldn't divide these as it has to be one or the other. We must pursue both. And I think I think that's we have we have evidence from Scripture that that's that's fair, uh, that's that's a fair way to approach it because you know when you look at at Deuteronomy the instruction that the Lord gives parents for for their children is He says tell them the stories tell them the stories mm, good, about me good, good. He doesn't say read read the parchment right He says tell them the stories oh good and so good. for every parent when they're sitting down and telling the story of Moses and the Exodus and the parting of the Red Sea. And you're telling that story to a child. I mean, you're you're bringing drama. You're you're you know you're 
fleshing out details. Scripture is written in thrift, right? It was written at a time when you couldn't go to Kinko's and buy reams of paper and go on every rabbit trail that you wanted. And so there's an efficiency to the way scripture is written that is designed to engage the imagination. Uh, in fact, I would contend that if we're not reading scripture with an engaged imagination, we're not reading it correctly. Mm. Um, and it's not adding to scripture to let our imaginations do some of the work of interpretation because it wasn't written to tell us every last detail. It was written to give us enough of the details that we as human beings could then supply. So uh, an example of that is we're not told how Joseph felt when Jesus was being born in the manger. We're not given really any information about Joseph's part of that experience. Hmm. But yeah. if you're a father who has been in the room when a child has been born, you hmm. can imagine how Joseph felt. You can imagine yeah. the helplessness that he felt, the fear, the joy, hmm. the anticipation, the the desire to be busy doing something helpful, but not sure what that might be. <laughs> um, you know, that those are the things that that it's it's I think it's a true reading of scripture to to infer things that are reasonably the case. Now, when it comes to art and 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 creating things and adding things, I think about Michelangelo's David. Mm. Uh, Michelangelo create when he carved David fighting Goliath, he made David naked, uh, and that's a detail that is not in scripture, right? Uh, so is Michelangelo playing fast and loose with with the text of the Bible? I don't think so. I think what he's doing is he's saying, all right, I'm, I'm trying to convey who David was in this moment. And David is a young man who's about to face a giant. And, and all he's got is a sling and, and some stones. How can I present him in as vulnerable a light as possible? Mm. make him naked, you know? Mm. And so, and so David, the Michelangelo's version of David is completely nude to emphasize to the viewer just how vulnerable he really was mm. in that confrontation he was about to enter into. Is that, is that um, adding to scripture or distorting scripture? No, I think he's, he's saying that the medium that I'm using to tell this story is a single block of stone. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have pages and I don't have written words. So I'm trying to just give you something to look at that will tell you as much of the story that the pages of scripture has as possible. And one of the ways that I'll convey just how drastically different David was from his opponent is I will reduce him down to nothing mm -hmm. um, but the skin he was born in. Hmm. And that's it. Oh, man. Well, I, uh, I want to continue this for hours. I think I said that the last time we talked, um, but I do need to draw it to a close. I, I, I just want to say in closing, um, uh, art and beauty, uh, it points us to another world. And I, I think it's got tremendous evangelistic power. I think for us to talk to our non-Christian friends who appreciate art and music and beauty, um, we, we can use that line of apologetics. It's the hope-based apologetics, or it's the, the beauty of this world points to another world. I, I love the line uh, toward the end uh, of The Weight of Glory, where Lewis uh, preached and then wrote, um, we do not want merely to see beauty, though God knows even that is bounty enough. 
We want something else, which can hardly be put into words, to be united with the beauty we see, to pass into it, to receive it into ourselves, to bathe in it, to become part of it. And I, I just think this is an underused and underappreciated line of apologetics um, to point people uh, to the God who made our world so beautiful. So, Russ, thank you for serving the body of Christ with this great book. And um, uh, do you still post some things on a regular basis about art? I know there was yes, some time when I you do. were doing that. Yeah, I do. Um, every Wednesday I have a, a series on uh, – just follow me on my social media um, accounts, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. I have a series that I call Art Wednesday, mm. where over the course of the day on Wednesday, I'll post a series of about seven to ten paintings that are related in some way. They're either by the same artist or they're thematically connected or there's some sort of historical, you know, so like I might have a series of paintings that have been stolen and are still missing, um, mm. you know, or I'll have a, a series of, of paintings that are all about, you know, fatherhood, you know, for Father's Day or something oh, like that. Nice. And nice. so, um, so that's every Wednesday, uh, Art Wednesday. And then that's posted as a column over at Fathom Magazine. Uh, Fathom Mag, you can look up. Uh, and uh, my column is there, Art Wednesday. But the reason I started doing that is I I just found that my own social media stream was a discouraging place to go. Uh, there, <laughs> you know, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of uh, beauty there. Um, mm. And so I wanted to just introduce some beauty into the social media stream. And so oh, I started doing this and it's every week. I've been doing it for a couple of years now. Oh, man. Uh, and, uh, and it's been a great opportunity for me personally to just learn more about art. That's how I got to know Henry Tanner was, was doing a art Wednesday series on uh, during black history month um, on, on an African-American painter. And that's how I found him. Uh, and so um yeah, so you can follow me on social media. I'm sure you can put that in the show notes. And yeah, I will. We that. will. And, and uh, um, yeah, every Wednesday, I'll, it'll it'll be something new. And so we've got Da Vinci's sketches of the human form. So it's a series of his practicing uh, hands and faces and, mm. you know, stuff like that. Oh, this is wonderful. This is a gold mine. And, and so you have all of the previous ones uh, uh, archived for us to look at. Mm -hmm. Yep. All yep. right. But we need to bring this conversation to an end because I, I have years worth of, of your blogs <laughs> that I need to go read and look at. So, Russ, thanks so much for the time. Uh, to our listeners, thanks for listening in. And we really hope here at the C.S. Lewis Institute that all of our resources, including this podcast, will help you grow in heart and mind discipleship. Thanks.